Welcome to the Future is Fun podcast with your hosts, Brian Olds and Danielle Tucker. Buckle up as we explore the latest emerging technologies, business trends, and fascinating discoveries that are shaping our world today. Are you ready? Let's dive in and see what the future has in store. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Future is Fun podcast. Brian Olds here with uh, Danielle Tucker. What's going on, Danielle? Hey. Hey, everyone. Doing good. I'm excited for this conversation. <laughs> me too. Me too. We just finished geeking out for like 10 minutes about AI. And so I think that'll be uh, episode three, but this is episode two. And we're going to be talking about the future of the 40 hour work week. And I got a lot to say about this because <laughs> we both. Now, Danielle, I know you were working. Um, were you ever a 40 hour a work week person or did you kind of skip mm-hmm. that whole model? Because I feel like you've yeah. been. I skipped it. I went I went straight college grad. I mean, I did have like an internship where I did a few like all-nighters, but that wasn't really like a 40-hour work week type situation. <laughs> but yeah, um, pretty much after graduation, we started traveling immediately. So I kind of skipped that phase of things. So, so you've never had a full-time, I got to show up at the office eight hours a day. That's incredible. That's, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Because I <laughs> And that's and this is why that's why I'm so glad to have you as a uh, co-host for this because I'm on the opposite end. I spent 11 years working actually for an HR company. I worked for a staffing recruiting agency, and that was my entry point into the workforce. Um, and also, there's a funny side story because I actually before that I worked, um, I I did an internship for a um, a um, I guess a government like integrator, like one of the big you know, tech, I don't want to say which one, but basically I worked for them and that was my kind of first introduction into, it was a summer internship and that was my first introduction into like the world of full-time work in my junior year of of college. And then I remember getting introduced into like flexible, like hours where, you know, you could work eight hours and you could give, you can come in later basically. And the idea was you would come in like if you came in at nine, you know, you could leave at, you know, five or like six or something like that. But if you come in at 10, you would leave at seven and so on and so forth. So there was this window and nobody explained that to me. So I remember I, I was coming in at like 10 and leaving at like three, you know, because I was like, oh, this flexible. You could just like make it up wherever. And one day somebody pulled me aside and it's like, no, you, you know, if you come in later, you need to stay later. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this isn't as fun, but that's fine. The work was still getting done. <laughs> like, what does it matter? Well, I mean, I was an intern. And the other thing about oh, yeah. that is that you, um, yeah, so I was an intern. So it wasn't like I was doing anything <laughs> mission critical. You know, I was giving tours and, you know, <laughs> telling people yeah. kind of where stuff is located. Like, uh, but it, it also the thing about that is that there's a limit to that. So, like, you know, some people can come in at 6 a.m. and like leave at three. But I'm kind of like in between some of those windows, there's not that much work that you can actually do at like four, five a.m. And I would argue probably like nine o'clock and 10 o'clock at night, either um, in in certain industries and in certain professions. So uh, if you have to rely on other people and you're kind of working in like a standard U.S. time zone, but then there are some other places where, you know, you could probably um, 
they almost expect you to start because you're supporting like Asia or Europe or one of these other <laughs> like countries or continents. And it's, it's crazy. But in any case, we're going to be talking about the 40 hour work week. Um, I'm excited to dive in because uh, this is something that's uh, uh, top of mind for a lot of people right now um, coming out of the pandemic. I think there was a, a, a massive shift, of course, uh, for many uh, workers who had the option to go to telework. And now there's this tension to kind of go back into the office. And so there's a lot to, to talk about there. And so um, what I love to do, Danielle, is kind of go into maybe a little bit of the history of the 40 hour work week. And so just so people can kind of get some his, um, perspective and then um, kind of dive into um, how we can kind of break this down. But a lot of this I did not know. Did you know anything about the history of the 40 hour work week or where it came from? Well, I guess I'm about to find out. I don't think <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's like one of those things you want to really think about, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'm, yeah, I'm very interested to hear what, what you share. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, from my perspective, it's kind of like, it's one of those things that you're just kind of born into and you just assume that, you know, oh, that's just the, the way it's done, but it wasn't always done like that. So apparently in 1817, going all the way back, <laughs> to 19th century. Uh, there was a British member of parliament. Uh, it was a guy named Robert Owen. And he proposed the idea of an eight hour a day uh, work day. And basically his argument was that it would lead to improved efficiency, better quality of life for workers. So, you know, at the time, uh, there wasn't really any standard for work. You know, people just kind of uh, worked until they were physically exhausted <laughs> and then you would like leave or go home. Uh, and so fast forward to the United States uh, in, the, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, um, labor unions started to form. Of course, you know, we know those today as unions. Uh, and so they basically, you know, these advocacy groups that would, you know, uh, employers now had a vehicle, excuse me, employees now had a vehicle to uh, start to negotiate the number of hours that they would work, um, safer working conditions, um, increased pay, um, and all of these things. And so in 1916, uh, the U.S. Congress um, passed a bill that established the eight-hour workday, um, and it was actually with the railroads, And so, um, which is funny because there's this whole thing with the railroads now. But mm -hmm. uh, 1916, <laughs> U.S. Congress got something done. And so it was like, hey, everybody's going to kind of have this um, standardized workday. And then in 1926, um, the Ford company, um, Henry Ford, uh, was one of the first companies in the U.S. to institute uh, the eight hour standard for workers. And so fast forward now, getting closer to modern day, um, the Fair Labor Standards Act. And 1938 established a 40 hour work week as the standard for most industries and provided for overtime for uh, work beyond that limit. So that's kind of like been the progression up to this point. And so now uh, 40 hour a week became full time work. And then anything less than that, according to the Fair Labor Standards Act, is considered part time. Mm, that is such an interesting breakdown of the historical timeline of how this all played out. And also, I find it very interesting thinking about how, how uh, I would say, people in today's time 
think about work compared to what you described many, many years ago. I also find that to be very interesting. Like, so they created the eight hour day was created as a way to keep people from overworking. Am I understanding that right? Well, I think it was a way to, so I I think what was happening is that, um, cause this guy, Robert Owen, you know, I'm assuming I need to, he, he was a, he was a lawmaker. So he's a member of British parliament, but it said efficiency and better quality of life. And so at a certain point, I think what uh, folks eventually realize is that people aren't machines. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you uh, work people to death, they will literally <laughs> die and you won't be able to easily replace them. Like, I feel like now current state uh, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but, you know, we can kind of pull labor from different places, you know, when people are migrating to your country, you know, but to a certain degree, you only have a certain amount of people to actually be able to do work. And then also as work gets more specialized, that pool of labor starts to shrink. And so I think uh, what he started to realize is that if you have a hundred employees and you are able to, um, let's say not work them to death, like let's say you get like 75% of that available output from that person, but that person is able to work, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, that's better <laughs> than um, burning out a person, uh, so to speak, and then them not being able to only work five years. And then now, you know, you don't have anybody else to replace them eventually. So I think that's where that premise came from. It was a, it was a, it was a more of an economic decision versus a, a humanistic decision. Uh, which I think is probably where a lot of policies and stuff kind of start anyway. People are just looking at how can we make the most money? <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I I didn't, I don't think I knew, heard of that story before, but uh, it's definitely very interesting to hear how it was formed and just kind of compare and contrast with what we're experiencing today and also how things have evolved over time to you know to what we're seeing and what we're experiencing and even like what the conversations that people are having about the 8 hour day 4 hour work week scenario so that is very intriguing yeah and so what i did is i, I was like okay um so we're going to talk about the future of the 40 hour work week um i i kind of teased out five of what i kind of call key elements or five drivers of rounds what uh will probably impact the future of the 40-hour work week and i definitely have some opinions i want to get yours danielle but uh so the five elements are um i think it'll be driven by uh economics uh technology uh a shift in employer values uh healthcare, and then also availability of talent so those are the five so uh we can go through each one and kind of you know talk about them and get some perspective. And then, you know, for folks listening to the podcast, uh, if you are an expert on any of these topics, which I am not, (laughs) (laughs) despite having worked 11 years and the uh, for a contingent workforce company, um, these are all pretty complex and dynamic uh, issues. And so I I think the goal here is just to kind of be able to you know, uh, provide some insight, but, you know, I'm not an economist, I'm not a technologist, you know, I'm not a HR lawyer, <laughs> you know, I'm not a human resources manager, uh, anymore. And, uh, you know, so none of these things I, uh, you know, I'm trying to 
be the expert on, but I think it could open up a great conversation. So let's look at the first one, uh, economics as one of the first key elements. So um, I believe going back to this this guy, Robert Owen, um, what he was talking about is that uh, there's an economic element in terms of how long people actually need to work and how hard we need to work. And so when we think about the country as a whole, um, indicators like GDP, gross domestic product is all about like how much value we are actually producing as a nation. And so um, obviously the more um, productive we are as an economy, um, the wealthier we become. But also, um, you know, I think conventional wisdom is the more efficient we can become at producing those things. Um, you know, if it took us, um, if five years ago it took us a um, hundred hours with to do a task that now it only takes uh, fifty hours uh, because of technology or whatever, we're being that's a productivity, that's an efficiency increase. Um, even though if, if the productivity is relatively the same, so it's like okay, just pure economics is like driving this. And so um, one of the things I found down y'all is that uh, one of the biggest costs to any business is actually people. Like human resources uh, is on the balance sheet is going to be the uh, the largest kind of line item that companies uh, have to pay for. And so um, for many companies, uh, it's... Um, 70% or more of its overall operating expense. And so I think just pure economics is going to drive um, a big chunk of this. But what are your thoughts? Yes, I agree with I agree with that. Uh, this is actually something I was talking with Devarius about just really just before this conversation is like, how and why is are the dynamics of like the work environment changing uh, in the way that they are with what we're seeing right now. And a big part of that, you know, just talking about, we were talking about like uh, decisions that companies are making uh, and what that looks like on like the receiving end as someone who may be an, um, an employee within a company and like what that may look like for them in the work week, but also like why are they making the decisions that they're making and why are they choosing to make the specific choices that they are? And a big part of it is like, well, I would agree with you is just the um, advancements in terms of efficiency, you know, with the, all of the really interesting and uh, all the, all of the different uh, technological advancements that are coming out uh, and also seeing evidence of how people have been, using technology in a smaller scale to become more efficient on like a single person type basis, I think a lot of companies are thinking, okay, like how can we utilize the tech on from like an economic stance in order to be more efficient and to, you know, lower the output and the cost in order to increase profit. So uh, yeah, definitely economics, uh, like the economic part of it definitely plays into what is shaping the 40 hour work week. Uh, it's, I also would say, you know, with making these choices, it, it 
kind of it like puts people in a, in a place to where they have to kind of view their options, you know, like for like bigger companies, like they make decisions from one view. And then, but also if you're currently working or may have experience working in a 40 hour work week, your perspective on it is like a completely different point of view. And so I think being able to like look at uh, how to increase efficiency across both uh, parties, I guess, is going to be most helpful for everyone. But uh, certainly like the economic part of it is like, yeah, definitely. It's definitely a part that plays into it. And it might be helpful if we kind of look at like the two perspectives, because I feel like on this narrative, there's kind of um, it's like the um, who who did the tale of two cities? Is that like Dickers- Dickerson? I need to go back uh. in. I need to research that one too. <laughs> what was that wishbone episode where we had? Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, tale of two cities. I feel like it's the same here. Like there's a tale of two experiences. There's uh, employers and then there's employees. And so there's all this 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 push pull dynamic where I feel like employees are always going to want to make basically as much money as possible like they're incentivized mm-hmm. like we want to make as much money as possible uh for their role uh with the least amount of headache i think and uh the highest levels of job satisfaction so those are mm-hmm. the things that employees come into a company trying to optimize pay experience mm-hmm. and like minimize headache and then employers are like um i want to pay you the least amount of money that i can um, to get the level of talent relative to the level of talent and the value that you're providing in that organization. And so you won't leave because if you leave, then I got to replace you. And it costs like, you know, thousands of dollars just to find, recruit, bring in, train and, and upramp somebody else. So mm-hmm. they want to basically pay you the least amount that they can in order to replace you. But then they also are charged to your point about, uh, with increasing profitability. And so particularly public companies are under a lot of pressure externally to um, not just make money, but efficiently run operations to maximize like shareholder value, I guess. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's this push-pull dynamic. And so I think it might be cool to kind of look at how these things impact um, employees and employers. So my question for you is based on what you're saying, um, and those economics, like, is it from the employee perspective? I think most people would agree that most people probably don't want to work 40 hours a week if they don't have to. Um, I guess I'm thinking, I, yes. I know I would. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, well, what should we call it? An assumption? An assumption. Or, I, yes. <laughs> I, I think it's it's a sweeping assumption, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, or if you do work 40 hours, I know we're going to look at some of these case studies in a little bit, but maybe if I'm working 40 hours, maybe we don't want it spread out over five days, Um, you know, or and and certain you know professions do that like um i know like nurses and uh, most i think um health professionals work like 12 on 12 off and and things like that um but it's kind of from an employee perspective you got this thing but then on the employer side do you even want to have your do you even want to operate like 40 hours a week like is that 
helpful for companies, <laughs> um, regardless of the economic output? Like, is does it make sense? Because you think about the burden of resources, um, you know, as 40 hours plus in a lot of cases of electricity, um, of um, security, of uh, manager, like meeting, like, is that healthy for a company? And so those are the two different veins. But what do do you think? Um, Does it matter one way or the other? Like, do you think it'll change, you know, based on employee versus employer? Yeah, I think it's going to have to change. <laughs> um, I think in order to to uh, weather through the friction of what we've been seeing between the two parties, there has to be some give and take for both. And uh, I think, I mean, when I think about it from like the employee, the employed perspective, like we want to to have the highest level of experience within our lives. And we also want to make sure that, you know, we're able to do things that we want and that we need, like taking care of family, taking care of our bodies, taking care of health. Uh, uh, and, but also from like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this from as a, a perspective of a business owner and CEO, like I also think about like, I think perspective has a lot to do with it because CEO, like how many hours do they work? I mean, all of we them. hear, uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just a lot. Like no, yeah. I think most CEOs probably work like 60 or 70 hours. Yeah. And so their perspective looking outward, you know, they kind I'm sure they have an idea from their experience. They know how many hours they've worked. So like, why shouldn't everyone else be able to do exactly what they've done? And so, I think it, it's it's going to require a level of, uh, I guess, emotional intelligence. Maybe is the word that I'm looking for um, for people to kind of like see both sides of the story, and also I think recognizing that different people are in different roles because uh, you know they're really good at it, and you know mm. one isn't necessarily better than the other, I would say, but I think it's most most importantly about finding that balance between how to increase efficiency, which, um, you know, again, we're in a really unique time because we're, we're seeing advancements with technology in order to be able to help improve that, uh, you know, but also like how to do it in a way that is going to make everyone happy. And uh, to to do it in a way to where we're reducing the amount of negative detrimental results and increasing more of the positive and more desirable outcomes. Yeah, no, I think that was a really good point. I think it it it, it this is probably one of those things where you know you mentioned you know making everybody happy. I don't, I don't know if that's a real thing in real life because. I can't think of any other uh, situation where, you know, like I can't even plan a family reunion and get, you know, um, everybody on the same page. Um, But I do think that um, a a big challenge that, you know, we kind of are locked into. And and again, kind of going back to the history, you know, the Ford Motor Company instituted a 40 hour work week in 1926. The work it's 2022 at the time of this recording, about to be 2023. 
<laughs> the world has changed. That was almost a hundred years ago <laughs> when yeah. this was. And, and so what about the world? How do you think about how much the world has changed in 100 years? Like, and te- technology is actually the next thing that we're going to um, with the, so we talked about economics. Number two is technology. The world has changed so much, but we still cling to these systems that no longer serve us. And we we do this in a, even in our personal lives too. Like, you know, how many of us have, you know, started to do things um, because at one point in our lives, it made sense. And at a certain point in our life, it no longer made sense, but we continue to do it out of habit. And I think uh, a lot of the systems that we have um, set up now harken back to that. There was no telework in 1926. You were either on the assembly line or you weren't on the assembly line. Uh, there were no, um, there was no, uh, I, I think the side hustles were, were limited. Like the idea that you get off of work and go to another job was probably um, not just rare, but probably frowned upon. It was kind of like, I think it was called moonlighting or, you know, when you go out and, you know, a lot of employers now still have that kind of written into their policy. Like you are physically not allowed to work at another company while you're working at their company full time. And that to me is just kind of crazy. So there's been this like massive shift in technology and also society and a lot of the um, rigid policies and framework and also thought process for organizations just has not caught up yet with that, with those realities. Yeah. What do you think it's going to take for, for the gap to kind of be windled down in that regard? Any thoughts? I think it's already windling. (laughs) Like I think, (laughs) um, I think it is windling away right now. I think uh, people are, um, you know, calling BS on companies that have these inflexible policies for the for the purpose of of not. So we went to, uh, you know, Barbados this year twice. And uh, one of the big things that Barbados did during the pandemic is um, they were trying to figure out ways to incentivize people to come to the island. Uh, Barbados is a small country. It's like 300,000 people. It's a beautiful place. And um you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, you see those memes where people are working on that laptop, you know, by the pool or by the ocean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, it's literally that. And so if you're going to escape somewhere like Barbados is probably the place to do it uh, or anywhere in the Caribbean, probably um, to, to, to get that type of experience. So they created this thing called the welcome stamp that would essentially allow you uh, for a small fee to basically, because um, most of the time, if you travel to an island like that or any country, you know, the expectations that you're visiting. So you don't really need like a long term visa. This visa would allow you to stay um, for a much longer extended period, I think over a year. Um, and it, 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 it worked. There was like a ton of people that like took advantage of that. Mm. But then when the pandemic ended and companies were kind of like, OK, well, you know, it's time to come back in the office. The overwhelming question became, for what? Like, <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, I, I clearly demonstrated I could do my job. You know, we had all these meetings. They were not necessary. For the ones that were necessary, we got on Teams <laughs> or got on Zoom and figured it out. I, I don't, you know, there's this thing. Um, 
Qualia Life Survey they do every year uh, said the average person, the average commute time in the United States. Uh, oh, actually, I'm going to ask you, how long do you think the average commute time is, Danielle? Mm. Like one way, one way. One way? Oh. Yep. Gosh. Average? I want to say, I want to say like two and a half to three hours. Okay. Well, fortunately, not that bad. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's horrible. Oh my god, that, and, you know what? And this is, you know, you've never had a full time like situation, so that's good. Um, so yeah, the Sorry average induce some anxiety, Brian. <laughs> nah, you know, I'm in therapy. It's fine. You know, we're working through it. Um, but now the average is actually 26 minutes. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one way. So to get back home, if you don't want to stay at the office, it takes 52 minutes. So the average, let's just say, is an hour, right? Yeah. Average commute. Some people closer, you know, and when people are moving or relocating for jobs, the commute time is a big factor typically in your decision-making process of where you're going to live. You know, are you going to be in the city? Do you want to live in the county? You know, is there mass transportation? Like what's the parking situation? That That's, that's time and there's also cost. But check this out. So let's say if the average uh, commute is an hour, you know, if you're working five days a week, you know, 40 hours, five days a week, um, and let's say, you know, vacations, holidays, time off, whatever, you know, it's 52 weeks in a year. Let's say you only work 45 weeks per year, which most of us work probably 50, 50 weeks a year, but 45 weeks per year. You're, that means for one hour a day, you're in your car for 300 minutes. That's five hours, right? Just in mm-hmm. your car. That means you are spending 13,500 minutes per year or 225 hours just in your car, you're not getting paid for that time either. That's mm-hmm. just the expected time that you're there commuting. And what's happening during that time? Uh, not only are you not spending time with your family or doing things that you actually care about, you are um, breathing in an insane amount of pollution. Um, <laughs> you are potentially putting yourself in, um, they say, you know, being in traffic is like magnitudes more dangerous than you know the act of driving is way more dangerous than flying or any other form of transportation um road rage um it's not healthy to be sitting (laughs) for that long (laughs) you know all these other things and it's kind of like people don't want to do it and so to answer your question i think it's already changing um we've seen companies like dig in to the notion um and some people that are on the other side Elon Musk, I think it's a famous example of that. You know, he bought Twitter and is demanding everybody to come back in and go super hardcore. He canceled. They had these things called, um, uh, what were they called? Um, oh, rest days. They had mm-hmm. uh, days of rest was what they were called. Yes, and he, I about uh, that. he was like, nah, bro. Like we, <laughs> and, and that's because that's this consistent thing at Tesla, at SpaceX. Like he expects people to work. And so there are definitely people like leaders who kind of um, operate on this principle of like, if you're not in the office, if I can't physically see you, like you are not working hard enough. And so I think that's the perception that, you know, folks are trying to fight against. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, also with, you know, just like scientific studies and stuff like that, of like seeing how 
rest actually improves efficiency. I think, uh, you know, being able to, I would, I mean, I would love to see even more data and use, you know, have that information be used in support of creating more opportunities for, for, uh, companies to kind of recognize even more of like why rest is so important. I know after like a really long day of just like hard work, I'm just, you know, like even just after like a few hours of like really intense brain work, I'm just like down for the count by the afternoon. (laughs) So I can only imagine like being in a situation of having to do that like constantly. And also even just thinking about like using brain power compared to like using physical, like doing physical labor, like you know, solving problems can be, in my opinion, can be just as exhausting as doing like a really intense workout sometimes. So yeah, I think I'm, it's like, and it's, it's good to really see a lot more companies like making changes and seeing the importance of that. And I also am excited to see more of it in the future. So yeah. No, you're right about that. I, I do think there's a disparity between, um, what some people kind of constitute as work. And so there's like physical labor and then there's like people who are like knowledge workers primarily. And then, you know, of course things in between. So if you're out like digging ditches or, you know, uh, doing construction work or, you know, working on an assembly line or God forbid, an Amazon warehouse. um, Well, if we get sponsored by Amazon one day, we love (laughs) y'all. But if not, God forbid, an Amazon warehouse, like, those things are kind of like, oh, I can clearly see you are working hard. You're dirty. You're sweaty at the end of the day. But so, yeah, so that that's my that's my overall point. I think that, um, you know, this whole narrative that knowledge workers don't do as much work as like physical laborers is inc- is insane. And uh, just to put a final point on that, I remember reading about um there's been this controversy. I don't know if you've seen this, like in the chest world now, where um, this really famous guy, I forget his name, but he basically is like one of the the biggest, like best chess players in the world. And he um, accused the uh, other guy of cheating. Hmm. And um, he forfeited the match. He was like, the, based on his, the, the way he was doing his moves, he was like, there's no way a person could like, you know, move like that. And so when I was learning about that, one of the things that uh, the article mentioned about chess is that chess is such an intellectually intense um, exercise for people that you could burn up to a thousand calories um, in a single chess game that, you know, let's say it takes like a couple hours, like your brain uses an intense amount of energy to work. And, you know, you may not be sweating, you may not, you know, see muscles and stuff like that, but it, it, it takes a lot of, takes a, a lot of energy. So I absolutely agree with that. Uh, one story I wanted to share with you was my first month as a full-time employee. <laughs> and so I, I remember getting hired. I actually started work like right after college. And so uh, I was all excited. And actually I started a couple of weeks before I graduated, but classes were done. And I remember um, driving in. I remember my first commute um, and, you know, like everybody, you know, kind of be there at eight o'clock. So I ended up getting there like 745 or something like that. That was actually a 34 minute commute for me. So I spent over an hour a day in the car. 
and that's in perfect traffic conditions. Don't let it rain. Don't let it be. Oh an my accident. gosh. Don't let, you know, a turtle flip over on the side of the road. Like, you know, that was <laughs> perfect traffic conditions. And I had to go through, um, the, the tunnel, there's a Harbor tunnel here. And that was like an additional two or $3 every single day, both ways. Oh, wow. So it was expensive. It was time consuming and it was early. And so I remember getting into the office eight o'clock, you know, starting to do stuff, you know, kind of getting settled. And, um, and by like 11 o'clock I was exhausted. Like, and I was I was working in like accounts receivable. I was doing like I was playing with like Excel spreadsheets and calling people and stuff <laughs> like that. And then we would eat lunch. And by lunch, you know how people you know eat lunch and you have the crash at like one o'clock p.m. and it was like two o'clock and three o'clock. And by Danielle, by three o'clock p.m. in my first week of working, I would say my first month actually. It was May when I started. Um, by three o'clock, I had hit like an absolute wall, like. I was like, I I remember thinking to myself, how do people do this? Like I'd spent all these years going to eight o'clock classes, but you know, in college, you may have a class at eight o'clock. You may have another class at like 10 o'clock and then like a class at like two o'clock and then you're like done. And then Tuesday, Thursday, you might have like two classes in between. You get naps in between. But this was the expectation now in the real world is that I wake up, by the way, I woke up at six between like six and six fifteen took an hour to get ready out the door by seven to get the work by eight monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday get home i got home if i left the office at five which never happened <laughs> you know we mm-hmm. are rolling out like 5 30 6 o'clock p.m by the way you know it's now dark if you're past september so you're mm-hmm. you're going to work in the dark, you're coming home and it's dark. And I would leave the office six o'clock sometimes, six thirty. I've left the office as late as eight o'clock, nine o'clock sometimes, but typically like seven o'clock is like the latest. But let's say I left at six. I then have a commute back, rush hour. Um, so let's say I got home at seven, you know, I eat dinner. By the time I eat, I'm exhausted and I'm ready to go to sleep and I have to wake up the next morning at six and do it all over again. And so for the people that had kids and the people that like had taken care of older parents or had pets, it blew my, I had no idea how I was supposed to squeeze my actual life into this format. And so for a lot of years, I didn't, like I literally didn't have a life. And then my coworkers, they were going out drinking and doing all this stuff. I'm like, I am tired and I'm 23 years old. So I had no idea how I was supposed to make that work. Wow. Did you ever ask them, like, do you sleep? <laughs> like, what do you guys do? It was, I, well, yeah, I found out two secrets. That's two hacks. Uh, yes, hack number one was coffee. Um, <laughs> I had never drank coffee in my entire life until I got to corporate America. Um, really? No, I didn't have a reason to drink coffee. Like in college, I mean, we may have had energy drinks every now and then. But to me, I never, as a young adult, as a teenager in high school, all that stuff, like I never remember struggling with my actual energy level until I got into a full-time work, corporate work environment. Mm. Um, And then the second hack, which is the more depressing one, uh, (laughs) is is, uh, adaption or 
adoption adaption i think adaptation adaptation yeah <laughs> thank you adaptation was the the next one because eventually i got used to it so i started in may um and so by september i think i had acclimated primarily to it and i i did it for another 10 years but it was it was a it was a rough transition it was a rough transition. I remember when I transitioned out of corporate and uh, my first full day as a full time entrepreneur um, and that like that that jarring difference of not having to be anywhere at a specific time was indescribable. So, yes, I love that so much. The the freedom, the realization of freedom, I guess, would you say? <laughs> I, I would say. That is absolutely absolutely what I was fighting for. That to me was worth more than, you know, the paycheck. It was worth more than health insurance. Uh, It was worth more than a uh, 401k match. Uh, It was worth more than free food after training class. Uh, You know, (laughs) it was was the thing. Which actually leads me to my third point, uh, which is a shift in employee um, employee, uh, values um, as you know, so we talked about uh, technology, we talked about economics, but I think a shift in how people view work, how they think about work is really one of the, the probably to me is, is the one of the leading drivers. And again, I think COVID accelerated this, but this notion that I can be at home, I can have time with my kids, because by the way, you know, you do U.S., I don't know how other countries work specifically with all of this, but it's always been really weird to me that adults go to work. Adults and kids pretty much have to be at school at eight o'clock a.m. on average. But kids get out at three mm-hmm. and adults have to work on average like another two to three hours. And so by the time you get home from work, if you're a parent and I'm not, but just, you know, being a kid, a latchkey kid, as they say, as well as just kind of observing this, it was always jarring to me that we let school kids out of school at three and we're expected, like, who's who picks you up? Like, <laughs> who's supposed to, like, if I'm supposed to be working? So the quality of life just doesn't match the way things are kind of done. And I think people are kind of taking um, notice of that and taking affirmative action to align their life to the things that really, really make sense instead of waiting for this one future day where we'll be retired and you can do what you want type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know from what I've seen and experienced living in other countries, I know like when we were in Ecuador, uh, a lot of what I saw in terms of like schools and the work environment, a lot of people uh, really, they're business and their home were all in the same place. So like in Ecuador, um, if you were to go to some of the cities, you'll see it's like it has two levels. And so Mm -hmm. like the bottom level is like their tienda. It's like where people can come in, buy stuff, do business, whether it's like a printing shop or it's like a store where you buy your groceries, you know, whatever that that particular business that that family did was on the, the first floor. And then come closing time, when it was, you know, time for dinner, they turn the lights, shut the door and just go upstairs and that would be their home. And so I think culturally kind of just uh, thinking about how 
like the work and home situation were crafted from what I saw from that experience was really interesting. It's kind of like their, their business was like part, it was integrated, integrated within their lifestyle. And then also from like the school context, the community was a lot, the communities were like bubbles, I would say, like a lot smaller, not so spread out. Like here in the US, it's like you have the commute, you have to like drive on the highway or you have to like go like your destinations are very spread apart. But in the other countries where we've been, where also in Malawi, like there were people were walking everywhere. Like the kids literally walked from school to from to their house and back. It was very it's a very common thing. And uh But when they got you know, there, were their parents there or were they like who was watching? I mean, that is a very good question. Oftentimes they were they were from a young age, they were taught how to take care of themselves and even how to like work in the store, work in like doing the family business. Like it was something that was instilled from a young age, kind of like an expected type of thing. Um, I, I, when I think about it, I never really saw any kids. Oh, oh, here's another thing. Kids actually played outside. Like there was no like video games. (laughs) They were, they were either like riding a bike or playing with a ball or playing with a, in the dirt. Like there was no, like going up to play video games or anything like that. It was, it was always like playing outside or helping with chores. And so uh, I think culture also has something to do with it. And I think that's also something very interesting because uh, the communities were very close knit as well. Mm-hmm. Everyone, uh, you know, you knew your neighbors, kids were fine to come to walk home and go to school and things like that. But thinking about what things look like here in the U.S., uh, you know, with kids getting off from school, like either take the bus or your parents get you from the car line. And then, you know, it's it's just like very different dynamics. Uh, and, you know, with that cultural difference, I think uh, it also allows for more uh, – peace in terms of like the mental stress that goes into it as well. Because uh, when you know that your kids and your business and your home are like all in one location, like it's, it's, to me, it seems a lot easier to manage your, you know, you know, your neighbors, there's not a lot of problem solving, I guess, that you really kind of have to think, or maybe different scenarios that may cause stress or fear of like, oh, well, what if we don't get there on time? What, where are the kids going to go? Like, there's just so many different dynamics that can come into place um, with, I think, the the scenario that you previous, previously described of like work and school. And so uh, I think that definitely plays into it as well of like uh, just the emotional labor, I guess, of having to solve the problems in that way. Um, but, you know, having the peace of mind and knowing that your business and your home, uh, you know, are in the same location and then like school is is also very close knit. I think that also is like really interesting uh, perspective that to see and, and to kind of question like, hmm, I wonder if what things could look like if we maybe experimented with something like that on a large scale here in the U.S. too? I think we have. I think there there are some companies that have um, very intentionally, and I only think it's a new concept. I think uh, there are some um, companies that have essentially created like towns 
out of nothing and that have, is interesting <laughs> yeah they 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 adopted this approach of oh you know we want to um you know we need to hire like 10,000 people in like you know new mexico and so let's uh build in addition to just building our corporate headquarters and manufacturing facility or whatever we're also going to essentially build this kind of like fake town but not like fake but like <laughs> we're going to create like a town out of nothing and um you know you'll have a place to work you'll be like literally you could like bike to work or walk or catch a tram or something like you don't have to necessarily drive and then uh, this is an episode of The Simpsons, actually, which, by the way, we should we should do a whole episode, I think, deep dive on that, by the way, if we could yeah. add that into it. Because, you know, The, the, the Simpsons is, like, famous for predicting the future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, but this was an episode of The Simpsons where Homer, um, he got a job for this uh, company. Uh, the company ended up being run by, like, a guy that was, like, trying to take over the world or whatever. And he was like, why are you recruiting me? And he was like, you know... Um, uh, he, he he they moved from Springfield to this fictional town and then the house was like so state of the art that Marge actually didn't have any housework because all of the house was doing it was like cleaning for her and like changing the baby and doing all the stuff and then um the schools similar to what you said like Bart and Lisa ended up being in this super advanced like <laughs> magnet school and like Lisa uh, was like top of her class, but Bart ended up going to kindergarten because he couldn't keep up <laughs> just like the rest of the class. And so they all were trying to like adapt. Marge started drinking during the day because she couldn't like she got bored and started disassociating from her identity as a housewife. And Homer um, was like doing great, even though he didn't know exactly what he's been hired to do. He's like mean. <laughs> just was basically like motivated them to work harder, but they were actually building this like death ray to like take over the world or whatever so i i think companies you know the simpsons do a really good job of kind of capturing this intersection between reality and pop culture but um i, I don't know like i'm not sure if again kind of teasing out the the um the objectives of employers versus employees i wonder where that would stand today because you know, while we see places like Silicon Valley and um, I know I just read this thing, um, same thing is happening with, you know, Amazon and some of these other companies where they decide to put a corporate headquarters somewhere. Their biggest thing, again, 70 percent of their revenue or their expense is like talent. Like, how do we get the people here? But once they're there, like, I, I don't know if I want to live in a planned community that my company owns. Like, I don't know if I want to send my kids to the one school that you all created, you know, versus sending them to, you know, a private or parochial or something like that. So I, I don't know. Like, I don't know <laughs> if that's the future of what that would look like versus just saying, hey, um, there are some jobs that there are some jobs that just make sense for them to be remote. And there are some jobs that just make sense that no matter what happens, not only are they not going to be remote, but, you know, this is not a 60 or 70 week hour week position, you know. Um, so it, it's 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 a it's a it's a difficult thing, but I'm glad you brought that up because I actually <laughs> want to dive into that a little bit more. 
Yes. Um, the other thing I had was um, so we covered for we're probably like overtime, but we covered economics, technology, shifting employer employee values. Uh, the last two we can kind of lump them together for the purpose of time, but healthcare um, is a is another one, um, and then access to talent. Um, I put healthcare in there simply because the reality is that people are living longer. Um, and so obviously the longer people live, the, the, the more working years you potentially have. And I don't know if this is necessarily as much tied to the future of the 40 hour work week to the future of just work in general. But I do believe that, um, you know, this, this idea of people working, retiring to 65 is, um, potentially problematic now more so than ever because of the fact that you know if the life expectancy is now inching its way up and you know if you actually end up living to 95 and you retire at 65 there's 30 years of life that you have to pay for but you retired in a in a place where um the amount of money you make or plan to live off of is going to be significantly less than probably what you need 10, 20, or 30 years in the future. Um, and then the, the the challenge with that is that uh, not all work, depending on what type of work you did, is actually sustainable into those like golden years. And so healthcare is a big piece. And then um, just access to labor is, is, of course, changing as well. We have um, folks who are not in this country but can still work in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. And that includes um, U.S. citizens and non-U.S. citizens. Like uh, we're no longer just confined to our, our, our borders. And so that that does kind of open up this um, this idea that you um, not only do you need, not need to be geographically connected to your employer, but um, I can access labor 24 hours a day anywhere anytime and so does the the expectations as the bar shift to now oh instead of actually being open from you know 9 a.m to 6 p.m some of some companies are now the the expectation even as consumers is that you're available 24 hours a day like if i place an amazon order for toothpaste at 2 a.m and i expect to see it tomorrow morning at 10 a.m somebody has to fulfill that order somebody has to pick it somebody has to pack it somebody has to you know and it needs to go out so those are the two things the two last ones healthcare and access to talent any thoughts on either one of those two yes i do have thoughts <laughs> so one point that i really wanted to make sure that we talked about is i think there's a lot of um, I think the idea of changing the 40-hour work week feels really glamorous in a lot of ways. And I also think really the solution will, and I feel like this is like a million-dollar solution, or, you know, like this is like something that uh, something that people have questions about, you know, and are looking to solve. But I think a big way to create a solution that feels really great for everyone is just to have more of a flex type model. Um, Because, you know, we think about corporate versus entrepreneurship versus, you know, like, what is the best way to go about the 40 hour work week for health and, you know, to create the most efficiency in terms of talent. 
And I would say, you know, thinking about my experience and also uh, the experience of my husband, like as we've been traveling over like the past seven years, um, you know, thinking about my experience, I realized that there were different environments where I felt like I really thrived. And uh, I also recognize that the environments that some people thrive in is actually not the same for everyone. And so um, from like a healthcare perspective, I think thinking about like the mental side of it, like the making sure that you have the support from like a um, like your mental well-being whenever it comes to like the 40-hour work week is something that I have found very interesting to think about uh, because I tend to thrive with like a lot of flexibility, um, leading myself, creating my own rules, like being like, I'm okay to like be in my house working in like an office setting and having the flexibility in terms of creating my hours with my work like that. And my husband, on the other hand, is actually very different. Now he can, he can, he's, he can be like, if he has to work in like a at home setting, like he's done it, he can do it. And from my observation, I think he actually really thrives being in more of a corporate setting, being around a group of people, team, like really doing a lot of problem solving in in person. That's another conversation that I think a lot of people have been addressing since, you know, a lot of companies have been requesting for people to come back into the office is like a large number of people don't want to, but then there's also a percentage of people who actually have stated they want to go back and they want to experience being in that type of environment. And mm-hmm. I used to not understand that. <laughs> like <laughs> I used to be like, why? Like, why would you? But I think, uh, you know, seeing and hearing from his perspective and hearing about his experiences has helped me to have more grace to kind of like see and understand people's perspectives in that way. And, uh, it's also made me wonder if it's, is it really about the location or is it more so about the flexibility in terms of like how the time is being spent? And so um, that's something that I've really been thinking because for some people being in your home uh, office, making, setting your own hours, like from like a mental like well-being perspective is just not healthy for them. And it's not something that they really want to do or that they thrive with. But I think uh, really creating a, you know, the future of the 40-hour work week, you know, I don't know if it really has to do with location more so than it does creating flexibility in a way that honors uh, a person's well-being, honors their health, and allows them to uh, be able to live a lifestyle that feels good for them, whatever they decide that looks like. So uh, that's how I feel about it. That That is a beautiful way to kind of, I think, punctuate this conversation because, um, you know, you brought up something really important, which is, you know, everybody's different, basically. And that, um, you know, just because one person thrives and uh, in one environment doesn't mean at home, doesn't mean everybody does. And because some people thrive in an office doesn't mean everybody does. So, you know, allowing some flexibility is, um, I think, the key. And I think companies are, are slowly starting to get that, uh, particularly if they want to remain competitive. I think one thing we didn't even have to, a chance to go into in this episode is like the generational differences um, mm-hmm. and what the expectation is of the employer-employee relationship and what work actually looks like. You know, baby boomers probably 
are, um, I think the typical narrative is that, you know, they are, you know, the, the, you know, come in early, stay late, you know, um, they FaceTime is kind of the order today. Like, you know, they, they're used to more of those traditional like work structures and Gen Z is like, you want me to do what? Come you want me to put a tie on. What? What are you what? talking about? Like, 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 uh, like what? how much Who for how many animal crackers? <laughs> <laughs> and you see those TikToks where they're like, oh, I'm on vacation or like how to, how different uh, generations like tell their boss, like they're going on like vacation and like, <laughs> you know, baby boomers are like, Hey, you know, um, you know, it's like three months in advance. Like, Hey, I'm going to be going, you know, uh, down the street for, you know, a day. I just want to let you know, I sent you a calendar invite. I wrote you an email and then millennials are kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm going on vacation, um, but I'll be available. You know, if you need me or whatever, <laughs> here's my cell phone, here's my hotel, here's my whatever. And then Gen Z on the other end is like, Hey, I'm out. I'll see. Like, where you going? Bye. I'm out. <laughs> like, well, can we call you? Nope. Can are you? Where can you? Nope. Like, nope. are you gonna have your laptop? I left my laptop in the desk. Like, I'm not. You know, I'll see you. Well, if I email you, well, well out of office is on. So, like, it, there's all these like differences, and so I think flexibility is the word that I would kind of punctuate this conversation with Danielle and. um I think as we're thinking about flexibility, one of the fundamental things that probably needs to change also is actual job design. Uh, because right now I feel like the way um, job descriptions and roles within companies are created, it still kind of has that like rigid structure. It's like, hey, this is either on site or it's remote or it's either, mm -hmm. you know, this or that. And it's like, it's either full time or part time. And the reality is, I can't think of too many positions where, you know, something is kind of one way all the time. Like this role is like very few tasks take 40 hours to complete every single week. You yeah. probably have people in organizations that are, um, you know, working um, on tasks, projects. Um, or, you know, inbound labor that is really, they're, they're doing jobs that could probably take 20 hours to do, but they're stretching it out to 40 because that's what they get paid for. And you have some people that are under-resourced and they're trying to desperately to get 70 hours of stuff done within, you know, um, just 40 hours or even like less. And so um, I think we if we're going to get smarter about something it's not just, you know, taking into account the individual uh, employee preferences, but also um, getting smarter about how we designate work and what that should look like. And maybe starting to abandon this idea of full-time versus part-time and just um, really um, get smarter about that. Now, the one case study that I, 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 I like this Chick-fil-A, um, pilot that happened in November, 2022. Um, they are offering three days a week for their people. So it's still full for full-time work. Uh, they're actually working 13 to 14 hours a day, but they're only working for three days. Uh, and it's not all Chick-fil-A it's just this one location in Florida that did this. And, um, uh, the manager that came up with it said it was designed to reduce burnout 
increase employee retention and actually demonstrate, um, you know, better leadership. And so what happened was they um, had about 160 employees, which again, that blew my mind. I'm like 160 people work at one Chick-fil-A, but Chick-fil-A <laughs> makes a lot of money. This company, this, this one location does about $17 million a year in revenue. And so they ran the pilot um, for um, a couple weeks and it ended up that um, not only did they improve employee morale, uh, they reduced attrition and they reported higher levels of employee satisfaction, uh, but also boosted like uh, profitability. And when it comes to uh, recruiting talent, they are now getting at the time of this article, which is November of 2022, they now get 429 applications every single week to work there. So they have no issue finding uh, talent or people. And so these are all net benefits that I think, you know, other companies could potentially model if they are willing to be, your word, flexible around how this thing looks. Um, we might end up breaking this into two episodes because I feel like this is a... This is like a mega episode. <laughs> this is long. Yes. <laughs> so this would be probably like a two-parter, uh, but I, I think it was a healthy conversation uh, nonetheless. Any any closing thoughts on your end? Yeah. That's – thinking about the numbers you just shared about Chick-fil-A is like phenomenal. And it also just shows that when you create an environment for people to feel – seen appreciated like you actually create something that people want it's like the demand is there like it they obviously have no shortage of people who want to work there and if if there were if companies really took that into consideration with their strategy like okay how can we make make change actually people actually makes them want to work here i think that would solve a lot of the problems that they may be seeing so i think this is a really interesting conversation and uh i'm excited to see what the future holds in terms of the 40-hour work week yeah what's what's your final prediction on what do you think let's say in the next um i don't know it's 20 2022 now like in the next by 2030 let's say so not even mm. 100 years so that's like um you know my prediction yeah. i think that there's going to be a lot more people who are going to learn how to uh, work on like a one-to-one type basis, like entrepreneurially. I think there's going to be a lot more people who will find themselves moving more in that direction mm -hmm. uh, because with how technology has been advancing, I'm, I... I've, I, from what I'm seeing, um, companies are learning how to, to automate more. They're learning how to uh, use technology in order to lower the costs of running the business in order to increase the output and, and um, just the overall efficiency. And I do find that those who will continue, well, this is like my personal perspective. I find that people who will continue to work in like the corporate setting in the future, um, I don't really see HR going anywhere. <laughs> um, I see people who have um, experience with dealing with tech, machinery, fixing the machines that are actually doing the efficient work. Um, like I can see more of those roles definitely taking place. And I also think that 
as things are changing, people are going to get a lot more creative and a lot more, you know, when there's a need for something like uh, the drive to, to get the answer, I think is really going to be more prevalent within people. Um, I, I know like from my experience of traveling, you know, and having to create um, income overseas, it's either make the money or get stuck in a foreign country. Like there was definitely incentive <laughs> to to make it work and so i think when when more people are found in a position to where they have no other choice than to make it work i think there's going to be a lot of really amazing solutions that are going to come about mm. that's good stuff i think my prediction is um kind of along those lines but i think by 2030 um i think this whole notion of um full-time work will be maybe not gone completely but i think it would be kind of um like archaic i think that the vast majority of people uh will kind of be known as specialists and like specific things and i i think there's going to be a lack of reliance on actual employees and i think most people are going to be kind of like independent contractors um i think um labor unions and stuff like that are probably going to erode and it will make way for this groundswell of folks who kind of have these portfolio careers where, you know, um, you know, I, I think of uh, like Hustle Man for Martin, <laughs> where he kind of <laughs> had like, uh, he's like, I can, you know, I sell CDs, like I cut yeah. hair, like I uh, like you, you get to the cab, he's the cab driver. Like, I think <laughs> we're going to see more of that type of thing. And it's not because, you know, people don't want to necessarily, um, you know, work. I think, you know, the, you know, human involvement, you know, the tech piece that you mentioned, I think is, is, is certainly true. I think, you know, the demand for technical talent specifically is going to probably drive most of those um, remaining, you know, 40 hour full-time work things. But I, I see people just kind of selling out their services, their product, hanging out their shingle, and um, kind of doing it as a way to retain control over their life. And so when they are wanting to work more um, so that their work can kind of match that lifestyle, like if they need a couple months off, they don't have to like quit their job. They can just be like, okay, well, I'm winding down this contract and like pick, pick it up. And so, and I think even at the lower levels, quote, so to speak, of, um, you know, jobs, we're probably going to see that like right now, you know, if you work as a stocker at Home Depot or like Lowe's, well, by then, you know, robots are going to be doing like a lot of that stuff. But <laughs> like, let's say you're doing like light customer service at some of these like positions instead of you working just for Lowe's or just for Home Depot or just for, you know, Walmart or Target or something like that. I think uh, people are going to, um, you know, just kind of like Instacart now, you have like shoppers, people that are kind of doing that. I think that's that's an independent contractor relationship. Like I think that's what we're going to see more so than anything. So that's my prediction. I think the 40 hour work weeks time is days are numbered. Um <laughs> I think uh it's on its way out. Uh certainly um in the next, you know, 20, 30 years, but certainly in the next like a hundred years or so. Um it, 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 it will be working much differently and people, employees, 
um, if you even call them that, like independent contractors slash employees will have significantly more power than uh, companies and uh, work structures are going to have to adapt to that. So, yes. Put it in the books. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle, thanks for another great episode. Y'all, thanks for listening. Um, we'll have to decide if we keep this as one or two. I do see like podcasts and stuff with like super episodes. So maybe, you know, we can put it under that. But regardless, I think um, great conversation. Um, episode two is in the books. And uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing y'all on the next episode of the Futures Fun podcast. And, uh, in the not too distant future. So um yeah. Talk to you soon. We still need a sound off phrase. So <laughs> how about this? The present was great and we'll see you in the future. We we're workshopping. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like the stance actually more than the uh than the, I like the stance more we're than the actual. Yeah, we're on a workshop. In it. progress. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>